they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July 8th, 2022. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. And uh, thank you for listening. And please share with your friends and neighbors and relatives and those you work with and anyone you meet about Virgin Most Powerful Radio so they can tune in. All right. We will begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. We ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot. Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll be looking today at the first letter of Peter. So Peter says in his letter, um, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his grace, mercy has been born anew. Excuse me. By his great mercy. I'm sorry. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, that now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which through though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not 
now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with unutterable and exultant joy at the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your soul. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your soul. So this Peter is saying we're called to a living hope. In, this, in these short verses here, verses 3 through 9, Peter refers to the three theological verses of faith, hope, and charity, all three of them. These are gifts that were given by God to us. Faith is a gift if you want it, ask for it. That God exists is not an article of faith. It's a self-evident truth. Anyone who is intellectually honest has to admit that there is an uncreated creator, that there's an unmoved mover, that there's a source of all the beauty and truth and goodness and order that we see in creation, and that that one who was un- is uncreated, we call God. And even the pagans recognize this. Go back and read about Socrates and um, his last days and his trial before the, the Athenians when they accused him of being impious and of corrupting the morals of the youth because he was teaching people to question the immorality of their age. Socrates, a pagan, <laughs> was teaching people to question the immorality of their age and this idea that we could just live any way we want. We can live according to the dictates of our flesh and that's going to make us happy. And Socrates was saying, wait, there is someone who made us all and he is good and beautiful and true. And we can know that from the goodness and beauty and truth we see in a creation. We can know that there is a God. We can know that there's an uncreated creator because creation just doesn't happen by itself. Someone had to create. Uh, movement doesn't happen by itself. Someone had to make movement. And so by the use of his reason, by the use of his intellect, he came to know that there is one God who is transcendent, who is above all, and doesn't delight in the debauchery and immorality of men, but delights in the goodness of men, that when men practice virtue, when they live disciplined lives, when they are mortified and they live a virtuous life, a moral life, that their creator is very happy with this. And Socrates realized that the gods of the Greeks, the pagan gods, were not gods at all, but creations of the minds of men who wanted to live immoral and debaucherous lives. And so Socrates tells them, the reality is, is you're the ones who are impious because you want to live an immoral and debaucherous life. And because you want to do that and justify it and feel good about it, you create gods who are far more immoral than you are. So it justifies your misbehavior. So he was accused of corrupting the morals of the youth because he was trying to teach them a moral way of life. (laughs) Funny thing. (laughs) Scott Hahn used to say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So that God exists is not an article of faith. But if you want faith in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that's an article of faith, that God is a trinity of persons, that the Son of God became man, that's an article of faith. Ask God for faith. Faith is a gift. Ask him for it. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, the man in the gospel cried out. You know, if you were baptized, you were given the gift of faith and baptism. Ask for more faith every day. Lord, I want to continue. It's not a once done thing. And that comes out here in the letter of Peter. So what do we have here? Peter, he's, he's talking about the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you go back and read the, the introduction, verses one through three, he said um, to the exiles in the dis- dis- dispersion, Okay, and he names the places 
chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We were chosen by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. And what did Jesus tell us? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that, that's what gives us hope. What is this living hope we have? Well, this living hope we have is for an imperishable, undefined, unfailing inheritance kept for us in heaven. It's union with God. And it's not just kept for us in heaven. We're called to live union with God here on earth. In the beginning, Genesis, when God makes man, he says, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. In the divine image, he made them, male and female, he created them. So man is made in God's image, and he's made for union with God. This is what we're called to, even here on earth. But we will not realize that union perfectly. We will never see God face to face until we get to heaven. So we have this reality going on that we're, this is what we're made for, okay? The sprinkling with blood. That's, by the way, associated with the rites of priestly ordination in ancient Egypt. Remember in Exodus 24, 28, Moses sprinkled the people of Israel with the blood of the Sinai covenant, binding them to, to the Lord and consecrating them to be a holy and priestly nation to, to the world. They were supposed to bring God to the world, Exodus 19, 6. Similarly, in Leviticus 8, 30, Aaron and his sons were ordained to the priesthood by the ritual sprinkling of blood. This background anticipates the description of, belie- description of believers as members of the royal priesthood of Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 9. So, blessed be God. A traditional prayer form called Barakah, Hebrew for blessing, in which the Lord is praised for his saving deeds and thanked for his wonderful gifts. And, of course, we have this in Chronicles 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 3, Tobit 13, 1 through 18, Daniel 3, 3 through 22, to name a few examples in the Old Testament. And then for other New Testament examples, see Luke 1, 68 through 79 and Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. And you can look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church 2, 26, 26 and 26, 27. So we have these beautiful hymns of praise of God. You know, the Luke 1, 68, 69 is Zechariah's, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. The words he say, says when, he's, when he, after he writes the words, his name is John. After his son John has been born and they're going to circumcise him and name him. And there's a discussion about his name and Zechariah writes his name is John. And then Zechariah sings this hymn of praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. So the living hope. What is this living hope? Is this just an optimism? Is this just, oh, well, you know, things are going to be nice and rosy? No, it's not a mere optimism or wishful thinking, but the earnest desire made possible by grace for the unseen glory of heaven. And that there'll be more of that in 1 Peter 1, 13, and then in 21, and then in Romans 8, 24 through 25. So we have this hope to see God face to face in heaven. And this is the hope that was given to us by his son, Jesus Christ, that we would see him face to face. And this is what Christ, Jesus Christ invites us to. I hear the music. We're coming up against the break. I want to thank all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please spread the word. And thank you for your support, financial, spiritual, your prayer.
prayers, your sacrifices. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, June, July, July the 8th, 2022. On Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please um, let your friends and family know that we have a Catholic Bible study and join us. Remember, as Catholics, we don't read the Bible in a, in a vacuum, and we don't believe that each one of us has the power to interpret the Scripture on, on our own. We look to the Church for the proper interpretation. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a very, very good source for you to, you know, to look to um, even Father Glenn Botton, the pastor here at Our Lady of Grace Parish at Sacred Heart Chapel here in Covina, who was at one time a Protestant minister and then an Anglican priest, is now a Roman Catholic priest, and he said even when he was Protestant, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons because the commentary and scripture in here is so powerful and so enlightening. So we are called to a living hope. We're looking at the first letter of Peter, and Peter says we're called to this living hope. Why? Because we've been regenerated in Christ. What does it mean to, re, to um, be born anew, to, meet, to be regenerated, to cause to be born again? So... For Peter, the rebirth of Jesus from the dead, the resurrection, gives believers a spiritual rebirth by grace, a regeneration. The idea is that God fathers or begets us anew, not in a natural biological way of parents, but in a supernatural way that gives us a share in his own divine life. And you can see that in 2 Peter 1.4. The benefit of this grace is a new birth into the family of God, so that believers united with Christ become newborn infants, 1 Peter 2, 2, and children, 1 Peter 1, 14, united in a brotherhood of faith, 1 Peter 5, 9. It is their privilege to invoke God as Father, 1 Peter 1, 17, and to await heaven as their inheritance. We are called, we are waiting for that imperishable, unfading, inheritance which is which is in heaven is waiting in heaven for us now here on earth already we can experience this union with god we are called to live in union with god remember this the practice of the presence of god calling to mind throughout the day that god is always present to us that he is god and we are not and he is present to us and we remember that he's present and that we're doing everything in his presence for love of him, for the praise of the glory of his name, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. That's the foundation of the spiritual life. That's the beginning. So let us begin to live the spiritual life. Because as you heard Jim Caviezel say there in the break, we're called to be saints. We're all called to be saints. We're called to live this hope, this hope wherein we don't look for a finality here on this earth. We're not looking for an eternal paradise in earth. We're not looking to, to find our happiness on this earth. Yes, there's much happiness and joy on this earth, but our happiness is union with God and living with God for all eternity in heaven. We are called to greatness, to union with God. We are called to be his very dear children, and we're called to behave like God as his very dear children. So this is the hope to which we are called. And our salvation, you know, it, it, God's power guards us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And what is the last time? This is the last time. 
once Jesus Christ was born, suffered, died, was buried, rose from the dead, the last age was introduced. Okay, how long the last age is going to be, we don't know. Now, how long was the first age? I don't know, I, but six to 10,000 years from the creation of Adam and Eve until the coming of Christ. So you have, you have the last age, and that's, that's this time in which the kingdom of God is to be built on this earth, not as a permanent kingdom, an everlasting kingdom for earth, but we're always with adelanto, looking up ahead, looking towards heaven, looking towards Christ in his glory, wanting to join him and his Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, to be eternally with them and to praise the glory of their name for all eternity. But to begin that here on earth, this is our hope. We are looking for heaven. We're not looking for a, a lasting happiness in this passing world. We're not looking for that. We're looking for union with God in this passing world, to live in his grace and by his grace to give up our sins and overcome slavery to sin so that we can live with him in heaven for all eternity. So in this, you rejoice that now in this, you rejoice. Did you hear this? Peter says you're rejoicing in this. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer various trials. Okay, we rejoice in what? in that our happiness is in heaven, and that even though in time we're going to have to suffer trials, the genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We rejoice that the genuineness of our faith will redound to glory and praise and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, even though we are going to have to suffer trials. And this was the, the mark of the Christians that the, the pagans couldn't understand. These Christians were going to the arena and, and being killed by the animals, and they're singing praises of God, and they're like, what is this? These people are facing death, and they're rejoicing. What's happening? Yeah, because they have a hope for something beyond this world. That's why we can bear suffering. All of our sufferings can be united to Jesus Christ to help redeem the world. Paul makes that clear. I fill up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. By uniting our sufferings to Christ, we, our sufferings become redemptive, not because of us, but because Christ redeemed all of human suffering. Human suffering, he didn't come to eradicate it. Jesus did not come to take away human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. You see, Suffering entered the world with sin. When man sinned and rebelled against God, suffering entered the world. And so Jesus Christ comes to recapitulate all things in Christ, including the wounds and the fall in our nature, so that all of the suffering that came into the world as an intrusion now becomes a means of salvation. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of suffering because all of this, although it came as an intrusion, it wasn't what God had made in the beginning. It becomes redemptive and it has meaning. It has great grace. It, it helps us to get to heaven and we can help others because God allows us to participate in the salvific work of Christ. God is not stingy. He wants us all participating in the salvific works of Christ, uniting our sufferings with his. And people have discovered this. Protestants have discovered this. Uh, Johnny Erickson, who was 
her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. She started Johnny and Friends. It's the name is Johnny, J O N I. Many people think her name was Joni. She says this in her first book, Johnny, J O N I. She says, My name is Johnny, like my father John. Um, I was named for my father. Many people think my name is Joni, but it's not. Um, and she 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 was slated to be an Olympic diver, dived off a raft in shallow water in the Chesapeake Bay, broke her neck. I believe she was seventeen years old, broke her neck, and was paralyzed from the shoulders down, quadriplegic. And um, it took her five years to accept her, her this suffering as a grace from God, that it had a purpose. And at first, her friends took her to healing services. You know, well, and, and they kept telling her, Johnny, you just need enough faith. And if you have enough faith, the Lord will heal you. He, you'll be able to get up out of that wheelchair and walk. And, and she prayed, and she, she prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and she prayed with all the faith she could muster. And this was a real... Cr- cross her friends kept telling you you just don't have enough faith johnny you just don't have enough faith and she kept reading the letters of saint paul and finally she came to realize no god is glorified in my weakness for in my weakness is the power of christ brought to perfection it's when i'm weak that i'm strong so god can use this weakness of mine to praise him at first she thought her her suffering was a punishment for her sins and it was crushing her God's punishing me for all my sins. And it was just crushing her. She couldn't bear it. But when she realized, no, God didn't cause her to break her neck. He allowed this to happen, but he allowed it to happen to bring about a greater good. And Johnny Erickson, and now Johnny Erickson Tata, has gone through the world bringing wheelchairs to people who otherwise would have no form of mobility other than to drag themselves along on the ground. And and she's helped countless people. And she learned how to paint with a pencil and or paintbrush in her mouth paints beautiful pictures you can look up johnny and friends um they sell stationery and stuff to help support the work of bringing these wheelchairs to people all over the world but the, the reality is is that as a protestant she she didn't understand the suffering was a punishment for her it must be a punishment for her sins and and that you know, even though she repented and then her friends telling her, well, if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. And she came to recognize through reading the scriptures that no, God has a purpose for the suffering. He actually has an actual purpose for the suffering. He can bring a greater good. And this is what we all have to realize. No matter what the suffering is that we're going through, God can bring a greater good. This is part of our hope. And that that, if we offer that suffering in union with Christ crucified, that will be a part of our eternal glory. God shares his glory with us in heaven. He wants us to be united with him. And our faith is more precious than the passing splendor of fire tried gold. And gold itself is tried in fire. And we too are tried in fire. The fire of the sufferings, the crosses, toils, and disappointments of life. But we unite all of them to Jesus Christ. And it becomes redemptive. All of our suffering can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. And it will redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So without having seen him, we love him. By his grace, we love him. And rejoice with unutterable, exalted joy. Because we believe in him. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. What is the outcome of our faith? The salvation of our souls. And is it a once done deal that once saved, always saved? Well, it's interesting because um, salvation is described here as a future event. The outcome. It's not happened yet. It's a future event. It cannot be reduced to an event 
to an event or an experience that's already completed in the past. And you can see there's a, the, I'm using the, the um, Ignatius Study Bible, and there's also a, a commentary on Romans 5.10 that helps us to understand that. Our salvation is not a, it's not once saved, always saved. I, I accepted the Lord Jesus, that's it. It's like, no, each moment, every day, I have to renew that acceptance. That's what living in the presence of God is doing. I renew that acceptance of salvation from Christ. And I want to live in union with him here on earth so that I can be in union with him for all eternity. So the prophets had prophesied of the grace that was to be ours. And they searched and inquired about the salvation. They inquired what a person or time was indicated by the spirit of Christ within them when predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things which have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, we're looking here at the, the letter of Peter and this hope that we have and what does it mean that we have this hope and how does that play out in our lives? That we have hope, hope in salvation and eternal life with God in heaven. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, but please invite your family and friends to join us and to listen and tell them there's a Catholic Bible study and you can join in. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Um, my guardian angel and I are, are, are flying here today. So, um, Terry is, is catching up with other work he needs to get done. Thank you for joining us, and let your friends and family know that there's a, a Bible study, Catholic Bible study, and we have it here every Friday on Bible with the Barbers. I do a Bible study at the chapel uh, September through June, so uh, we'll begin again, please God, in September on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., but we're taking a break for the summer. So um, anyway, thank you all for your support, and thank you for listening, and thanks to the radio stations that pick up our signal. And please let your family and friends know and share the app, share our website, share our Rumble site, share our Facebook page with uh, everyone that you know, please. So we're talking about the first letter of Peter and this living hope to which we are called. And this living hope that we're, we're not looking for a finality here in this world, but we're looking towards heaven. We're looking up ahead. We're looking for our, yes, union with God. And that union with God begins here on earth. We are called to live in union with God right here on earth. And we are called to live daily in the presence of God, moment by moment, and moment by moment to give ourselves to God. I remember talking to a, a group of um, teenagers one time, and I was telling them that, you know, we should, we should be constantly thinking of God. And, and uh, you know, the Bible says, that Jesus says in the, in, the, in the gospel to pray always. And somebody said, oh, that's too, one of them said, that's too much work. Well, you know, that's, that's our laziness. That's our um, human uh, <laughs> fallen nature saying, ah, forget it. Or, or it could be the devil tempting us to say, oh, just relax. It's not that hard. Don't worry about it. No, it's an arduous task. We have to strive. We have to strive for that for which we hope, okay? Faith is the position, possession of what we hope for. By faith, we possess God. God gives himself to us in, in baptism when we're baptized. 
God gives himself to us in the sacraments, and most particularly, God gives himself to us in the Holy Eucharist because the Holy Eucharist is the living, glorified, ascended, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. As he is present in heaven, so he is present in the Eucharist. And he gives himself to us as food for our journey, food for the soul. But we're not looking for a lasting happiness in this earth. We're not looking for paradise on earth. We're looking for heaven. We're looking to be in union with God in heaven. We don't see God face to face on this earth. We walk by faith. And, and if you want the gift of faith, or if you think you're being challenged, and by the way, at some point in our life, all of us will experience some challenge of faith where we don't think we believe anymore. It, it doesn't seem possible. Well, that God exists is not an article of faith. Just, just let's put that out there and let everybody understand. It, if you're intellectually honest, you know that there is a God. But to believe that we're called to live in union with him, that God is a trinity of persons, that the Son of God became man and redeemed us, yes, those are articles of faith. But faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. And I remember my mother teaching us when we were children, if you ever think you're losing your faith, pray all the more. And I've told the story about how in college I had a professor who challenged my faith by attacking an article of faith, the papacy, the the infallibility of the papacy, the Pope's ability to teach without error on the moral and and, um, dogmatic teachings of the church when he teaches as the universal shepherd of the church for the whole church. And, what, and, and um, if he doesn't intend to teach as a universal shepherd, if he doesn't consider himself a universal shepherd of the whole church, then he's not teaching as a universal shepherd, then his, his teachings are not infallible. So, but, but we have infall- the infallible teachings of the church because Christ left a sacred deposit of faith to the church. And this, this professor was attacking that. And I, I remember realizing I was becoming very cynical and my internal, and that's, you know, we have to examine our internal attitudes, you know. Yeah, I was going to mass every day. I was praying my rosary. I was, you know, doing, trying to do my duty, do my studies and and keep faithful to the Lord. And yet I was cynical. I was, um, what's that other word? But just terribly cynical. And I'm like, this is not a godly attitude. There's an attitude in me that is not of God. I can see this. Something's changing in me. And my whole interior being is becoming very ugly and very ungodly. And I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm, you're losing me. I don't know what's going on, but you're losing me. And I prayed. I just prayed because my mom had taught us, if you think you're losing your faith, pray harder. And I begged him. And I begged him actually by saying, Jesus, you shed your precious blood for me. I didn't shed my blood. It didn't cost me anything. The faith was a free gift to me, but you're, it cost you everything. And I think you're losing me. What does it mean to you? And by the grace of God, he, you know, he, he gave me the words, the right words to say to a priest so that the priest said to me, well, yeah, th- sure. Because I, I, what I said was, yeah, well, I said made some snide remark about the church defining infallibility when she did. And all the priest said to me was, oh, well, yes. And Jesus Christ wasn't divine until the fourth century. And I kid you not, it was like infused knowledge. The lights came back on instantaneously. And I realized the church defining Christ as divine in the fourth century didn't make Jesus Christ divine. Jesus Christ was divine. He was, he's one person. He's only one person. He is a divine person who took to himself a human nature. He doesn't have two personalities. He's not a split personality. He's not two persons. He's one person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity from all eternity, the uncreated God through whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, became man and lived among us. And so, yeah, he was divine 
from the first moment of his conception in his mother's womb. The human nature of Jesus Christ was united to the Godhead from the first moment of its existence. The church defining it in the fourth century didn't make it so. The church had to define it in the fourth century because of the Arian heresy. She had to solemnly define what she understood because so many people were becoming confused. Over 70% of the bishops of the Catholic Church were accepting the Arian heresy as the true faith, that Jesus Christ was not divine. Well, yeah, she had to define it. And so, too, with infallibility, up until after the Protestant Reformation, there was no need to define infallibility. It was accepted. Everybody was Catholic until the 1500s. And, well, you had the split of the East and West Catholic Church. The, the, the Eastern Orthodox split from the, from the Western Church in the 10 hundreds. But there wasn't, that, that, there wasn't such a, an attack on the papacy at that split that it became necessary. It wasn't until after the Protestant Reformation, and much of Europe lost its faith. And it was, it, then it took, you know, 1535, 1540 was the split, and then you had um, the, the def- definition of infallibility was at Vatican I in, in the 1880s, I believe, 1880-something, and um, was finished at Vatican II. So the church defining something doesn't make it so. She has to define it when this, the, the historical circumstances begin to challenge a particular dogma of the faith to the point where people are losing their faith. And why is that necessary? Well, the, the fathers of the church compared the faith, all the dogmas of the faith, as the seamless garment of Christ that at the foot of the cross the soldiers threw dice for. Remember they threw dice for it? Why? Because if they cut it, since it was woven from a single thread, the whole thing would unravel. And his garment represented the sacred deposit of faith that Christ had left to his church. And all you have to do is take out one thread and the whole thing unravels. And that was what was happening to me. This priest was attacking the dogma of infallibility. And so by the grace of God, God showed me. No, he's wrong. Yes, the church is infallible. She's infallible in matters of faith and morals. And the Holy Father, in a particular way, has the charism of infallibility when he speaks ex cathedra on behalf of the entire church. That doesn't mean every statement that the Pope says is infallible. That doesn't mean that every opinion of the Holy Father, as a matter of fact, a Pope can be wrong in his theological opinions, okay? But what he proclaims solemnly as universal shepherd of the universal church on behalf of the whole church and we can trust. And if we're looking at a world where, you know, people are saying, well, wait a minute, the Holy Father seems to be saying things that are in opposition to what the church has always taught. Well, then we have to look at this letter of Peter, and that's why we're looking at it. Because we have our hope in heaven, and we have to know that faith is a gift, and we can lose it. And the saints have said that the worst punishment God can inflict on his people is to give them a clergy that will no longer teach the faith. And God will do that. Just like in the Old Testament, when the people rebelled against Moses at the foot of Mount Sinai, the golden calf, and they were punished for that. And they spent 40 years in the desert because they wouldn't listen to God when he told them to take the land and that he would fight their battles for them. We didn't trust him. So Peter goes on here to say, 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, be holy yourself in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your Lord, am holy. And if you invoke the Father who judges each one impartially according to his deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Do they mean trembling like, oh, God's waiting to beat me up? No, with fear, with awe and reverence before God. God hates sin. (laughs) Why does he hate sin? It degrades us. It makes us ugly. God made us in his image. And when we sin, it destroys the image of God in us. Sin darkens the intellect, weakens the will, and it destroys the image of God in us. It makes us stupid, it makes us weak, and it makes us ugly. And some people don't like the, way of the word stupid, but it, it darkens the intellect so that we no longer see the true good. We were made to choose God. And in order for us to understand that we choose God, not some, passing ha- not some lasting happiness, and there's no lasting happiness in this passing world, no human being, no created good that God made can ever fill up the God-sized hole in our heart. We were made by God for union with God, and only union with God can satisfy the longing of our hearts. But that union with God means that we have to behave like God as his very dear children. We have to keep his commandments, and we have to set our hope firmly on God, and we have to give up our sins, give up the, it, you know, what we knew in ignorance, the debauchery. The, the breaking of the Ten Commandments, the living as if we had a finality here in this world. We don't have a finality here in this world. Our finality is heaven. We want to live in union with God here so that we can live in union with God for all eternity. And I hear that music. They're coming up against another break here. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And don't go away. We'll be back with you this exciting news that we God and our hope. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, June, July. It's July. <laughs> July 8th, 2022. And we're looking at the first letter of Peter here. We're not going to get through very much of it, but we're looking at the hope to which we are called and what that means. And it's interesting. We're reading from the book of Hosea. Uh, this is the fourth week, 14th, excuse me, 14th week in ordinary time uh, in the cycle of liturgical readings for the Catholics at daily mass. And we're reading from the book of Hosea. And in Hosea 10, the Lord talks about the fact that Israel was a luxuriant vine and, and he had blessed them with many material things, but they had used those material things to build altars to false gods and to worship the worship of false gods. And so he said, okay, fine. Um, you know what? I'm going to take it all away from you. I'm going to take it all away from you. And when I do that, then you will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. So sow for yourself justice and reap the fruit of piety. Break up for yourselves a new field, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain down justice for you. Justice, to serve, to give to God what is God's. We are God's. We're supposed to give ourselves back. We're not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We're not self-determined. I didn't create myself, and I didn't create my children. I didn't create anyone. God made us. 
We belong to God. In justice, we should give ourselves back to him. And in today's reading from Hosea 14, it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. You have collapsed through your guilt. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say, forgive all iniquity and receive what is good that we may render to you as offerings, the bullocks from our stalls. And the interesting thing is, it's not the bullocks from our stalls he wants. He wants our heart. But everything is his. He made everything, the bullock in our stalls, the money that we have, the the material blessings that we have, they're all gifts from God. God made everything. We didn't make it. So everything we should give back to God. What is God's? And we are God's. And we are supposed to live like him and behave like him. And we're supposed to remember what? That we are not ransomed, that we were, excuse me, that we were ransomed, but not with any imperishable price. We weren't ransomed with silver and gold. That's not what ransom does. We weren't ransomed by silver and gold. What were we ransomed by? From the feudal way of life that was handed on to us, the life of sin, which is the inheritance of man to man, because we can't give our children grace except through the sacraments of God. Only God can give us grace. We were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's in 1 Peter verses 18 through 19. We were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hmm, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Where did that first happen? The Exodus in the Old Testament. When the people were slaves in Egypt, the Old Testament Paschal lamb was the prefigurement of Christ. And what, what are the Israelites being delivered from in, in, in Egypt? From slavery. But what kind of slavery? Was their bodily slavery the worst? No. By being slaves in Egypt, they had begun to worship the Egyptian gods. They were no longer faithful to the Lord their God, to the one true God, the God, the maker of heaven and earth, who made us all, for whom we were made, by whom we were made, who were supposed to praise and bless. They were supposed to praise, bless, love, and adore the Lord their God. While in Israel, it, while, while Israel was in Egypt, they were supposed to, and bring the Egyptians to God. And instead... The Egyptians dragged Israel into their idolatry. And this shows up even when they're out in the desert. As I mentioned just before the break, Moses and the, and the, 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 the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. When Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God and the people make a golden calf. They're back to the, worshiping the false gods of Egypt. Even after everything God has done for them. He delivers them from Egypt miraculously. He worked ten plagues in Egypt. Delivers them from Egypt takes them across the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea. They saw Pharaoh and his army destroyed in the sea. And what a forgetful people we are. God feeds them with manna. He brings water from the rock. And, and we forget. We forget. We've, why? Because we aren't disciplining our minds to be attentive to God and what he is doing in our lives and doing for us. The Lord God is always present to us. He's always aware of us and our needs. But our greatest need is to be freed from sin. And to live in the freedom of, as his children, obeying his commandments. We are called to obedience. Jesus was destined before the foundation of the world. But he was made manifest at the end of times for our sake. At the end of times. The, the last age began when Jesus Christ came. That's the last age. We're in the last age. When the end of the last age will come, that's the secret God has kept for himself. But we're supposed to be praying daily for the second coming of Christ and, and for his kingdom to be established here on this earth. And we're supposed to work for it by giving up sin in our life. 
by taking care of our brothers and sisters in need, and by protecting the most vulnerable, the innocent, the most innocent, and all of those who are being oppressed, each according to the duties of their state in life. We're supposed to bring our children to God and teach our children the commandments. And we're supposed to keep the commandments ourselves so their children know how to keep them. Through him you have confidence in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are not to have lasting happiness in this passing world. We have no lasting happiness in this passing world. Lord, keep our hearts fixed there in heaven where true joys are while we live in this passing world. We are called to live in union with God here on this earth so that we can be in union with God for all eternity. Christ purified our souls and we purify our souls in cooperation with Christ by obedience. Having purified your souls, verse 22, 1 Peter, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth and for a sincere love of the brethren, Love one another earnestly from the heart. If we love one another, we will never lead one another into sin and we will never approve the sin of another. I don't judge the personal guilt of a person, but if they're doing something that's dangerous to their soul, if they're living in a way, if they're breaking the commandments, I try to teach them. But again, establish rapport. Establish rapport with them. You know, sometimes you come in right away and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you don't even know the person. It's like, well, you're going to go to hell if you keep living that way. Well, guess what? They're probably not going to listen to you anymore. What you have to do is show them that you care about them. You're interested in them. A priest one time was going to bless a house and he was like, why should I do this? This couple isn't even married. I I I feel like I'm trapped. I feel like I'm condoning their living together. And another priest said to him, well, just, you know, ask the Lord to give you words to say. And don't don't just break in and say, well, you shouldn't be living together without the benefit of marriage. You're both Catholic. You're going to go to hell if you keep this up. But ask the Lord for words. So he prayed all day. And, and, you know, in the evening when it was come time to go do the house blessing, he gets to the house and he's praying. He says, Lord, Lord, give me words. So many times I've done this and I fail. I just every time I'm like, well, people, you're not supposed to be living this way. And so he went into the house, and instead of saying anything, he listened. And the couple was very proud of the house they had and how they had set it up and everything. So he, he let them take him on a tour through the house. And at one point, they, you know, there's an office. It's going to be a, a home office. He's, the, father, the husband's going to work from home. And, and there's a, a fish tank there. Well, this priest happened to know a little bit about fish tanks. And he was, you know, and, they, and he said, oh, my goodness, look at that fish tank there. You know, that's, that's a nice tank. I, and the, the woman says, well, actually, it's not ours. It's my brother's. And two fish have already died. He just kind of dumped it on us and he inherited it. And we don't really know how to take care of it. And father went and looked at it. He said, well, it could use a cleaning. And they said, yeah, maybe later. And he said, why don't we just do it right now? I know how to do this. I know a little bit. I can help you out. Just take a minute. So they worked on the fish tank and they cleaned the fish tank. And while they cleaned the fish tank, they started talking and they started discussing and it all came out. This couple wanted to get married, but every time they talked about getting married, the, the, the both, you know, the mother of the bride and the mother of the groom were, were fighting over how the, the wedding should be done. And they wanted this big expensive wedding that the groom couldn't afford and nobody could afford. And, and they're like, well, we just decided, well, we just won't get married. We'll just live together. And, and so father said, well, have you ever thought about getting married quietly? Just, you know, not having a big wedding, just, just quietly getting married. And they said, what? 
He said, he said, I want to invite you to do something. He said, I'm going to bless your house now. And I, I, what I want to invite you to do is I want the two of you to pray together, the Our Father, every day. And ask the Lord to guide you. And, and, uh, and so a year later, the priest was um, at, in, a, in a cafe. He was having a cup of coffee or something. And he heard two, two women talking. And he heard him mention the name of this couple. And he said, yeah, you know, it's so funny. They, they just decided to go off and, with their parents. And they just had this little tiny wedding. And it was no big deal. But they got married in the church. And, and Father was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, but, and that's it. It's like, yes, meet people where they are, but don't leave them. If they're, you know, if they're, if they're not, they don't know the teaching of Christ, give them the teaching of Christ, invite them. Invite people to study the catechism, to learn about their faith, to learn what God has called. Do you know that you're made in God's image? That you are beautiful and good? You are made by God? That you were made for union with God? That God loves you, he likes you, he delights in you, and he desires you. He wants to live in union with you. Do you know these things? Do you know that you hope to which you are called, that you are called to union with God here on earth and in heaven too? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man conceive what God has prepared for those who love him? That doesn't just mean union with God in heaven. That means the union with God that we can experience right here on earth if we live in the state of grace and ask God to draw us into union with himself. You know, if you know people who are living in irregular marriages, ask them to study the Catechism of the Catholic Church on marriage and, and what marriage is. What is Christian marriage? What is the basis of Christian marriage? The basis of Christian marriage is friendship. It's this mutual, total gift of self to another that I make of myself and completely entrusting myself to another person. It's beautiful. And people don't even know the beauty to which we are called. And it's the blood of the lamb. It's Christ himself. Look at the cross. Look at the cross every day and say, Jesus, you shed your blood for me. Help me to appreciate this gift. Jesus, I want to believe. But the suffering in my life challenges me. The, the immoral lives that people around me are living, the, the way that some clerics in the church behave, are challenging me. That... that I could have more fun by just living in sin. Help me to see that sin is slavery and debauchery. It degrades me as a human person, and it doesn't give me freedom. My true freedom is in keeping the commandments and in living in union with you, Lord God. And this is what I want. I want to live in union with you now, now on earth and for all eternity. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe in you. Increase my faith. I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. Lend me your love, O oh my God, with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve. The hope that we have, that we will live in union with God for all eternity. Lord, give us the grace of final perseverance. Grant us the grace to persevere in faith, hope, and charity. Thank you for listening to Bible with the Barbers. On this Friday, July 8th, on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, please spread the news. Thank you for all of you who support us financially with your prayers, with your sacrifices, with your sufferings. All of our sufferings can be offered up in union with Christ to help redeem the world. Our suffering has meaning, and it will be an eternal weight of glory for us in heaven. So we ask to persevere. God bless you, and may you know the hope to which you are called in Jesus Christ.